Hello all, this is blonde-haired girl. <laughs> um, so, I want to talk about um, this movie. I want to talk about the movie Contact. It had um, Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey in it. And it had a huge impact on my life when I went to see it. I'm trying to remember if I saw it with a friend or if I saw it by myself. And to, honestly, I can't, I can't remember. But because uh, I think I may have gone to see it with my friend. And I was living in Phoenix at the time. So this would have been actually before... I moved to where I'm living now to have some kind of context for myself. But, and so if you have not seen this movie and you want to, here's a spoiler alert. You may not want to listen to this, to this podcast until you have watched that movie. (laughs) So if you want to watch the movie, you don't want to, me to ruin the movie for you you may want to watch it and then come back to this podcast so it's it's about this um this girl who is a scientist who is um dedicated to to the study of extraterrestrial life and and making contact with extraterrestrial something out out there um and and so she works in this lab and she works on grants and she has her closest the closest person to her because she's out in the middle of you know virtually nowhere um with satellite dishes she's listening to satellite dishes a lot to see if she can hear hear anything and and the closest person to her is this 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 man who is not completely deaf but he he or maybe it's that he's blind. Now that I think about it, he's blind. He's not deaf. Sorry about that. So he's blind. Um, per, he's a blind person. A person with blindness. Sorry, I'm not saying that correctly. So, um, and then Matthew McConaughey is this um, minister. So Jodie Foster is a a scientist who is seemingly an atheist. I mean, they don't, they don't really get into it in huge detail, but, um, and he is a minister and he sort of weaves in and out of her life throughout the movie. Um, but, um, and the movie has a lot of context for me as well, because she, she loses her her dad at a very young age 
and her dad was very significant to her, which is very, very meaningful for me personally. My dad didn't die when I was as young as her dad did, but I really identified with that part of the movie. Having lost my dad, um, and and to be honest, uh, at the time, really my way in life. When my dad passed away, it was it was it was just this marked change. It was like I was on this trajectory, and with the work that I'm doing now, frankly, um, I was on this trajectory, and then it was like I. I just lost, I lost, I guess in some ways, my faith. I kind of lost my faith, frankly, because um, it was such a significant loss for me that I, that I, I, you know, he, my dad was really the closest person to me. Um, Sometimes I, I've actually thought that perhaps I came into the family that I was born into to be with him for for some reason. Well, I know the reason because I just... My dad was just so incredibly special. He, he was... Um, he was really an evolved human being, like generally very, very kind. And um, at least in my point of view, my sisters and I have different points of view of my dad. I guess that I got the luxury of being the youngest. But here was the thing about my dad. You could tell him something and he would make a change. <clears throat> he would actually change like most most people when you talk to them they don't about something they they don't change my dad would change like I remember I I I think it was like actually the summer before he passed away you know that I I was playing in all kinds of of ensembles my violin I had been playing the violin since I was four years old by this point, I was like, I was around 22. Um, and I remember I, I walked in and I had been practicing a lot. At this point, I had been practicing a lot because I had been playing in all of these ensembles in college. Like every single semester, I was taking all of this music, all of these music classes. And playing in, in like, um, chamber orchestras and orchestras and private lessons and everything. And I was, I was practicing hours and hours and hours, um, during the week, learning new, new pieces. And so I'm, I'm there and I'm practicing and my parents just were not that great at feedback. And, and like, how do I word this? They just were not that good at feedback, just generally. Um, either there was no feedback or there was negative feedback. 
Like, you have to work on your intonation. You had blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was just never... My parents never... And, and you know, and my violin teacher as well. I um, took from Max Mandel, who was... He played in the the Phoenix Symphony. And he... Uh, he wasn't great with positive feedback either. So I'm sitting here going, you know, here I am, this this... And I and I wasn't. I honestly, negative feedback is really not a good way to go with me. Um, it's not. Uh, it's much better to to keep the feedback with me positive. Um, you know, or just something that is just really not 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 um, personal. Um. And, and so I, I went to my dad and I said, you know, I said, I, you know, dad, I've been playing the violin all of these years and, you know, I've really, like, you've hardly given me, like, you never tell me anything. And, and, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's basically like, I just kind of called him out. I'm like, you, you never say anything, you know, I'm practicing and I'm like, you know, and so I'm practicing. I think it wasn't even the same time, but he came and he walked in and he goes, oh, you're playing so beautifully. I was trying to to figure out if it was a recording or if it was you. I mean, he, it was a little bit over the top, but I just started laughing. And I remember, I think I just kind of shut the door on him. <laughs> Um, yeah, so anyway, I'm trying to, to just give you an example of, you know, that my dad was the kind of person that you could, you could give him feedback and he would, he would make an effort, which was nice because not all people are like that. Um, but anyway, so I'm making this, this correlation between myself and the scientist in, in this movie. Um, so so basically what ends up happening is she makes contact and she starts to hear these patterns. Um, she starts to hear these patterns and, and they figure out that the patterns in these sounds are, are numbers and they are a, basically a, the plans to create a, some kind of spacecraft. And so without getting into, like, there's a lot of details in the movie that, you know, actually would have been nice if they actually would have kind of been left out. But I could see the importance of it in our, in our culture. So, but anyway, so at some point she, she is in the spacecraft. She finds, she doesn't just find herself, but I mean, she, at some point, she is in this spacecraft and and she basically it it dropped her so <clears throat> it dropped her into um into what i consider these wormholes i call them wormholes because they're that's what it looks like like i can actually see them 
like when I'm during meditation, I, I can close my eyes and I can see them. It's like, it's sort of like um, uh, energy going into this tunnel that is sort of going into space um, somewhere. <laughs> and and I had described in one of my podcasts recently during a meditation that I had had um, a little bit of experience with these tunnels. But in my particular circumstance, I am not able to do what she did in this movie, which was, I mean, she was like literally in the spacecraft and she is like going in these wormholes and she is being transported to, well, she gets transported to a different planet and she wakes up on this beach and she's in this, you know, and this is where some of the imagery comes for me in my meditations i am i am getting a lot of the imagery from this movie um you know with the translucence of this space pod kind of thing that came directly from this movie i don't know that i would have been able to come up with that imagery on my own um because the space pod itself in the movie becomes translucent. Like, she can see through it. And, and, um, and so she has this experience and she is, she is, she wakes up and she's, you know, the trip that she went on is done and she, and she's in this net and she wakes up and they, you know, and they start to, to, um, interview her and, um, and what ends up happening is, is that because, because the way that we think of time and space is not correct. And so from their visual, she just went straight through. She just, like, the machine dropped her right into this net, which was, you know, like right below the the spacecraft. That's what it looked like for them. It was like a half a second or a second that she was just dropped. But she had had like 18 hours that she she you know and I'm having this really weird um <laughs> remembrance that I was in this when I was in this meditation that was somewhat like this recently when we came out of meditation we had been in meditation for four hours but it didn't feel like it when we were meditating, it didn't feel like four hours. I mean, it was, it was like, I would argue with you, there is no way it was four hours, but it was four hours. We were meditating from four in the morning until eight o'clock. So there is a timelessness 
that was depicted in this movie. And so they put her in front of, you know, she, and then they, they, they end up putting her in this, um, like basically this interrogation and they're asking her all these questions and she, you know, she doesn't even know what to say because she had this experience and she's describing this experience and they're all just like looking at her like they, they, there's no context for them to understand this experience because of what they saw and, and her, her video, her audio had been not working. So the scientists are kind of like, I don't know. I don't think it's like laughing at her, but they're just, you know, they're not, they're, they're just hugely skeptical. And, and so she ends up walking out and there are just hordes of people on the outside who, God, it just makes me want to cry. It's very emotional. There's like these hordes of people that believed her. And they they were bringing their children to her. Or they were, it was like they wanted more of whatever she was referring to, whatever she was talking about. They, they believed her. The scientists didn't believe her, but they believed her. And in the very, very, very end of the movie, um, they, this funding, you know, this funding comes back and, and they say, this woman says to, like, I guess the head scientist or whatever, he says, you know, we, we couldn't hear anything on her microphone or video or anything, but there was static for 18 hours. We recorded static for 18 hours. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so then they had to be, you know, they had, there was this element of, well, yeah, she was telling the truth. And so, so I had this conversation with my, my mother. Um, it was actually on, on, um, Saturday. On Saturday, I had this conversation with my mother and we were, we were talking about just all kinds of stuff. Um, and I, you know, so my first book is, is basically the story of me having an experience that is incredibly difficult to believe. It it is a it is a story of st epically strange happenings. 
and the meaning of which I still don't understand. Three years later, I still don't understand. I really don't. I don't know. I don't know the significance of it. From the outside, it looked like I was having a psychotic episode. I mean, my my family was very concerned. And, you know, and it's... And so, as soon as I possibly humanly could, I, I wrote this book. I wrote... Um, I wanted to call it The Saints... I wanted all of the titles to be of saints, but I wasn't able to achieve that. And so it's like these snapshots of these significant events that took place that summer. And so I, every, like these chapters are very short, but they are, I try to describe these experiences. And there's this one chapter called The Fountain. And when I was standing at the fountain, I I just had this imagery of that movie. And I was standing there and I just had this like, like, and I was saying, and, and this is kind of significant because in the movie, they were trying to decide, because this had never been done before, right? So in the movie, they're trying to decide if they should drop her or not, if they should press the button for her to go or not, because they've never done this before and they didn't really want her to die. <laughs> so, so they're like sitting there and they're like, okay, do we press it? Do we not? Because everything was shaking. There was so much vibration. They were very concerned for her safety. And at one point she kept saying, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. She kept saying it over and over. And, and her blind friend told them, I can hear her. And she is saying, I'm good to go. And so they dropped her. They pressed the button and they dropped her. So I'm standing in front of this fountain and I'm having this experience. And I kept saying, I'm good to go. And then I had this added phrase of, I trust in the goodness of God. I trust in the goodness of God. I trust in the goodness of God. I kept saying that. And <clears throat> so my story is, is, and it does include contact. Because there were beings that I actually could not see but there were these beings that were leading me through this whole thing. And I believe that they can they very consistently send me messages. These beings. <clears throat> so I so I have this experience and I write this book and And I, and it's like, so my mother is saying, you know, oh, you need to promote it. You need to somehow promote this book 
Jamie, because she, she had somebody, a significant other who was an author. And so she kind of knows about what you have to do to have a successful book. And it's like, I cannot tell you how challenging it is for me to allow people into that part of my life. Because it is so incredibly intimate. Like, like it, it, it was just so, it was so, like, so to, like, and, and, and it's, it's, it's like a, it's like, it's not to be believed. I mean, like, honestly, like, what? Like, I mean, like, literally, like, what? And so I'm having all these experiences and people are, the people in my life are just, like, she has gone completely nuts. And I actually lose, like, I lose friend. I lose, I lost somebody very significant to me who just like, you know, you've completely gone off the, the deep end. And to be honest, he was the last person on this planet who I would have ever expected to, to be that way with me. He really was. He was somebody that I truly believed, believed in magic. But in the end, he was, he was the worst of anyone. But my family, my friends, you know, I was, I was, you know, they didn't know what was happening. And, you know, and sometimes I like argue this, that if it were me, I would be very curious if my friend was having this experience. I would be very, very curious about it. But I, I actually, it's, so what I'm realizing is that it's sort of twofold. The first thing is, is that I am trusting in the creator of everything that is to promote my book, to put my hand, my book in the hands of somebody who could actually do something with it. And then it's secondly, I'm not entirely sure that I, how am I going to handle a broader, a broader um, amount of people coming, potentially coming at me as, as being psychotic. Of my friends who have actually read the book, and, and, and part of it is I don't know if they understand what they're reading. And, and part of the reason why I don't know if they understand what they're reading is because I don't even understand what had happened. I don't understand why I was doing what I was doing. I don't understand why, you know, and there's sometimes where I, I get the idea it was just to have the experience. Because like, okay, so you go back to this movie and what was the point? They spent like a whole lot of money to make this spacecraft. They send this woman into space for 18 hours. She is, she is traveling through space. She travels to this other, other planet. 
She's on this planet. She wakes up on this beach. Among other things, there's there's other things that she sees during this this adventure, but but why is it is it to is it to convince other people that there that there is something out there? Was or was it for her just to have this experience? So maybe maybe my experience was just so private that it was just just for me. And I don't know because a lot of times I just sort of I just sort of um uh I just it's mind blowing. Like if you if you really and and I couldn't even put it all in there. These are just snapshots, but this is not not all like every time I think I remember everything that went down I I can't I I could not contain it there were so many images coming at me and and I've said this before but the closest person that I have heard has been David Icke to my experience has been David Icke's story That is the closest, he is the closest person that I've had to having the same experience that I had. But our lives, he, my life and his life have gone in very different directions. Like our focus is very different and my focus right now is very different than his focus right now. In current times. And so, um, and so I got, I got like these, these different things going on, you know, that I, that I, this significant event that had to do with making contact (laughs) with these beings. And I do believe that they continue to talk to me. They um, they wake me up. They don't have me doing things like they did during that that particular period of time. I mean, there are times where I feel like they like turn this way instead of that way, you know. And um, I do still feel like they are guiding me, but and I have wondered if experiences like that would not happen to me in the future sort of like um that I would be I don't know they would just ask me to do something in the future um and you know of course I would um I there was this there was this absolute sense of of that they were benevolent these were like advanced, you know, beings. Like pure, the purity of, of them, like and the trust I had in them was far above the trust that I have in, you know, which is so weird because I'm going back to the fact that I trust the unknown better than I do, more than I do the known. I really do. 
which is why, you know, sometimes I'm looking at the known and I'm like, I don't understand why are, why is when I, you know, this is inconsistent and this inconsistency is, you know, I don't understand this. Like, why is this happening here? <laughs> because I trust more in that. And so, and so I think that there is this, um, this bit, you know, of, of, you know, and getting back to this, like, this idea of, like, criticism and, um, you know, at this point, it, like, it doesn't really matter to me as much what people think of me because I've already been kind of laughed and booed off the stage, <laughs> so to speak. And so, you know, but this experience, I mean, it was real. It was, it was more real than anything else I've ever experienced in my life. <clears throat> and so, and so, I sort of give it up to the universe, but I, but I also just, one of the points of this podcast is that I am realizing that this is part of my own like, like lack of self-promotion is my reluctance to allow the broader readership into, I guess, my soul. <laughs> I did not know that such things were possible. I didn't. I had no idea. I didn't even know. I didn't have any context. And it was really, really so validating for me when I ran into these passages in one of David Hawkins' books that I studied his works for a very long time, but I wouldn't have, have put any meaning to the chapters that I was getting into because they wouldn't have had any context to me until they had context to me until I was in this situation where from all outside accounts, I looked like I was probably schizophrenic, um, psychotic. I was having hallucinations, auditory and visual I looked like a crazy person that you should lock up. But but I can tell you I I was not I was not I could not com explain how I was not exactly at the time.
And so it was very comforting to go in and see that there are people, that, there are recorded people in history who have had similar experiences, you know, that have been, I guess, documented. I don't know. I, I, So there was this, um, you know, I, and I've been pretty careful because I, I, there was, um, so there were two that were just the most bizarre, honestly, and one of them was by the fountain, and then the second one was, the in the book, it's, it's a it's titled cried cry freedom and i was i was watching a sunrise one of the things that was going on that summer was all of these celestial events and they gave me these beings that were communicating with me gave me this idea that it had something to do with them all of these celestial events. And in addition to that, I have to point out that I had gone to a an eclipse the summer before. So the summer of 2017, I had gone to, to Oregon, the Oregon coast to watch a very significant eclipse. At the time, I didn't think anything of it, but I believe that something happened at that eclipse and that this person and I ended up just, just uh, our timelines just went in opposite directions. At the, there was something about the eclipse that did something. I don't, I could not describe it, but it was really interesting when I got back from that, some people that I work with are native. And I said, Oh, do you want to see these pictures? She said, Oh, no, I can't. We don't, we don't, they don't even go outside during an eclipse. These are people that are that are so much more advanced than we are. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I believe it to be true in every sense. And, and so when I think about it, perhaps I should have not been looking at the eclipse. Um, but anyway, so then the next summer, there was like a number of celestial events that were very, very significant. Like they had not happened in I don't know how many years and were not going to happen in so many years. And this was doing that and that was doing that. And they gave me this idea that whatever was happening Part of what was happening with me were these celestial events. Um, God, why am I telling you this? I can't. I cannot. Um, so anyway, this this one morning, I I had been meditating, actually for several hours a day. At this point, um, I was starting to like. I would do these um, kind of dancing. Like I was listening to music. I was, I was, 
I, it was sort of like this weird meditation that I was doing at the time. So I'm standing outside, and then all of a sudden, I'm just watching the sunrise. And I am, I'm like chanting, I'm chanting in a way that I've never done before and I've never done since. And I did not even know what it was about. But the interesting thing about it is I recorded the entire thing. So the other day I had endeavored to listen to it again and I just can't, I can't listen to it. It, it It's like, it's so bizarre to me. I, I just don't even know, like, I don't even know. I just can't. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know where it came from. I don't know. I didn't know. And, you know, it's just, it just was so bizarre. That's all I have to say. And so was this experience just for me to have this experience or was this experience for the broader readership or the broader audience that would want to hear this story? And what was this story about exactly? Because I just sort of leave it there. I give these snidbits and these snapshots of, of how it went down, and then I just leave it there. Like, it's just there. I don't say, I don't, I don't tell you what it meant. I don't know what it meant. And so I so identified, you know, with these scenes with Jodie Foster and where where, you know, like in my life, the significant people in my life, um, treated me as if I was mentally ill. You've crazy, you're crazy, you've gone off the, the deep end. You know, this is like the interesting part for me with, with David Icke was, you know, I mean, he had these, these interviews where, he was laughed off the stage. They treated him terribly. He was treated horribly. You know? <laughs> and so I found, I, I found that incredibly comforting <laughs> to hear somebody else's story and, and not be laughed off the stage. Mm. I'm sitting here thinking about my, my Angela Shear UFO girl. So I had heard her on the George Norrie show, listened to Coast to Coast. I was working at a candle making factory at the time, and I, I was listening to a lot of Coast to Coast, and she was on there, and I decided to contact her. I have, I have, I have sent like emails and such to so many people and have not heard from anyone. And if I've heard, it's been, you know, just, it just, there's been a whole, whole, whole lot of dead ends. But anyway, I had contacted her and she got back to me the next day and she, she heard my testimony. She took my testimony and it was like, it was the most comforting thing for me because she, 
she's dealt with people who have dealt with with UFOs and and aliens um extraterrestrials for years. And so she wasn't put off by my story whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I would have said back then before this happened before my experience I would have told you that I believed it was a possibility, but I, I, I didn't know. But I mean, I, I'm not, I'm a really open-minded person, you know, but I'm also in some ways kind of a skeptic because I don't believe in, you know, everything. Um, I don't like, you know, I tend to be skeptical about all kinds of things that are put forth in our you know, psychics and mediums and, you know, um, all kinds of stuff. I I tend to be a little bit skeptical about all of it. And so I wouldn't be one that would just be jumping on a bandwagon, but I'm also a little bit open-minded. And then I have this experience and I, you know, try to explain it. So I did. I, I write this book and, and, it kind of seems like I was meant to write the book. You know, and I've had people since, you know, say, well, have you ever thought about redoing it? And I have. I've thought about re- rewriting it, putting in more detail, writing it in a different format, this and that. And I'm just like, I, I sort of just want to leave it there just as it is. Like, it is a recollection. It is a memoir of a summer and I don't know if I want to touch it. It is sort of like this, like, honestly, it is the, it is the best description that I could come up with for the events and how they went down. And, and, um, it was actually like inspired, like the chapters and everything, like it was all, you know, I don't know. Do I want to redo it? I don't know. So, and so, my mom had, and I were, like, kind of strategizing, you know, and I was, I was thinking about maybe this weekend, because I had mostly got on TikTok to promote my book, and I started to do these things, I don't remember who said to do it, but I was putting them on every single day, I was, I was posting, um, you know, um, it just, it's just a matter of it being put in the right person's hands, um, for it to conceivably go to the next level. And then me, and then me being prepared for, I mean, the positive would be incredibly nice. The positive would be incredibly nice. But I know there's going to be a percentage of people who are going to say I'm a wackadoodle. <laughs> that girl is whacked. I know that. I'm aware of that. Anyway, 
just wanted to share that. I woke up, it's like in the middle of the night again. I um, woke up and I was thinking about those two themes and it's really weird how they kind of came together. Um, how they kind of came together, you know, in that movie and in my own life. And she, on even a broader scale, like all these scientists and being questioned and people acting like she's out of her ever-loving mind, but she had this experience, and I, I had my experience. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to see if I can go back to bed. Thank you for listening, and I will be back with other ideas. And that's a wrap.